welcome back to the For the Ladies podcast. This is episode 31, and for this Ladies of Golf feature, we chatted with Charlotte Gibson of ESPN. Before we get into the episode, we have a few housekeeping items. On ForTheLadies.net, you can find seven For the Ladies clinics. We're headed to Pinehurst, Washington, D.C., Philly, Jacksonville, Atlanta, San Diego, and even Champaign, Illinois. We are constantly adding events, so keep an eye out for them on Instagram. If we aren't in your area, I hope we come your way soon. But in the meantime, make sure you sign up for the For the Ladies T-Sheet. It's a directory of female golfers across the nation that you can access at any time. Sign up with the link in our Instagram profile. Okay, so this week we had another Jordan Spieth heartbreaker, but this time it was at Pebble Beach for the AT&T Pro-Am. The guy is so close um, to closing in on a W. He finished tied for third, while Daniel Berger claimed his fourth PGA Tour title. Daniel went from 15th to 13th in the world, and admittedly, I didn't even realize he was that high in the official world golf ranking. So I listened to his interview after the win, and he said, I do feel like I'm underrated, but that's okay with me. I just think it puts a little chip on my shoulder, which is totally fine. I think a lot of guys that they give credit to deserve credit, but I've been pretty consistent and I've accomplished a lot for the short amount of time that I've played out here on tour. You look at some of the other guys and what they have accomplished, I'm kind of right in line with that. So I just want to continue to get better. I feel like my goal has always been to be the number one player in the world, and some people will laugh at that, and that's fine but that's something that every day I wake up and I strive for. I thought this was an incredibly fair statement. Um, I'm excited to see how the rest of his season goes. And don't worry, the LPGA will be back on tour very soon for the Gainbridge LPGA. Um, And as a matter of fact, Annika is competing in it. So we'll have a lot to talk about. Okay, for this Ladies of Golf interview, we welcome Charlotte Gibson. Charlotte is a writer and editor for ESPNW and on the digital storytelling team at ESPN. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I think it provides a peek behind the curtain of how and when golf stories are told on ESPN's channels, because they cover all sports. Charlotte recently published a story about Tanika Mackey, the only black woman to caddy full-time on the LPGA. It's a great piece. I would I strongly recommend you guys check it out. Um, Tanika is Amy Olson's caddy, and she has MS. Um, so. Without further ado, our next Ladies of Golf, Charlotte Gibson. Yeah, and of course, like the one uh, non-sunny day. <laughs> it's like yeah. Well, okay, I will say. So I used to work um, in and lived in Newport Beach, and I moved there in January, and there were a lot of gloomy days. Yeah, of course, everyone's like, "It's never like this," and I'm like. Well, <laughs> it's a little like this. Seriously, it, it is. Well, and like right now it's like, it's gloomy, but we still need rain and there just hasn't been rain. So yeah, hopefully soon, hopefully one of these days. <sighs> well, thank you for coming on. Um, I start all of my episodes with featuring women with um, a quick nine. So we'll go through yours first. Okay. Okay. So what okay. is your favorite sport to cover? My favorite sport to cover is women's golf. Okay. I think right now that's that's my thing. Okay. Your favorite sport to watch and just enjoy. Okay. So that is probably either the Lakers or the Dodgers for me, basketball or baseball. Yeah. Um, but I do enjoy a good, like, give me the Masters, give me the U.S. Open, mm-hmm. give me a major, and I am 
Like I'm glued to the TV. I'm all in. Yeah. Uh, What's your favorite social media channel? Right now it's TikTok, which is, I, I am obsessed with TikTok and I don't post anything beyond, you know, a few videos of my dog, but I love TikTok. I think it's a perfect time to just like spend away from reality, right? Like it's a great place to be like, oh, I don't have to compare myself to anyone. I don't have to worry about what someone's doing. I just see these funny Gen Zers posting great videos. So I'm yes. obsessed with TikTok right now. Yes, <laughs> like I that's, feel that. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was the last book you read? Oh, well, that's a good question because I went back and read Normal People again because I love Sally oh, yeah. Rooney's Normal People. And so, mm-hmm. which I know is controversial. Not everyone is a big fan, but um, I loved it. And so I wanted to read it again. It's a quick read. And then mm-hmm. right now I just have a stack of books on my desk, but the next one is Glennon Doyle's Untamed. I need to read it. I don't that's know why great. it's yeah. taken me so long, but that's, that's next up for me. It's a good one. What was the last podcast you listened to? Oh, well, my friend told me to listen to Jared Freed's podcast, his dating mm-hmm. podcast, which I think it's called like Jayland or something. And she just told me, she's like, you have to listen to it. So I listened to a quick little episode, but you know, every morning I try to get in a little NPR or a little bit of New York Times daily and just try to get in little doses of that while I'm getting ready. Nice. And um, the last show you binge watched. Ooh, let's see. Which one did I last binge watch? I did the Night Stalker. I just did mm. that one. But Bridgerton, I feel like that was a that was a proper binge for me, Bridgerton. And um so happy I binge watched <laughs> that one. <laughs> Do you prefer the driving range or playing nine? Oh, definitely playing nine. Definitely playing nine. I love the driving range though, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, what is a story or like digital piece that you're most proud of? That's a hard question. I think last year I did a piece on the NBA women's coaches. Um, There was 11 of them and we did a huge package about, you know, just how they got there and they were little vignettes of each of them. And we did these beautiful portraits, but that was a piece for me that just felt like it was super inspirational um, and impactful. So I was really happy of that, but I think the one that will really forever stick with me is my New York City Marathon final finishers piece. Um, Mm. I reported on the people who finished last in the New York City Marathon. And, you know, we were out there waiting and watching and hoping that these last place finishers would talk to us and they all had really incredible stories. Mm. And so it was exactly what, you know, we imagined my photographer and I, and, you know, some, some people, they didn't know if they were going to finish, you know, one man does it backwards. He has cerebral palsy. He does the whole race backwards um, in his wheelchair. Um, One woman was an amputee, a recent amputee. So for me, it was a story that really touched on the human side of things. And that's exactly why I love what I do is because I get to tell those stories of maybe the people you've never heard of, but you should know in the sports world. Love it. And the last one is what are banana slugs? Okay, so a banana slug is an actual slug. It's a real slug. And um, it looks like a banana. And they are all around Santa Cruz. And they are in the Redwood Forest. And I suggest everyone Google banana slug to find out. Um, because they really, they look like bananas. And they, they're just, you know, they're totally hippie creatures, which is perfect for Santa Cruz. 
because I don't think they have any known predators and they're all around campus. When it rains, you see them and you know, you're in the redwood forest and then you just see a huge yellow slug and that's a banana slug. I love it's how a, much passion you gave to that. You gave a lot of well, passion into that answer. <laughs> as, a, as a Santa Cruz alum and someone who played golf at Santa Cruz, I have to you know, defend my mascot. People are always hating on the banana slug and it's, it's unique, right? And it's a good conversation starter. I love it. Okay. So what is your history with golf? When did you start playing? And, you know, when did you know you wanted to play in college? So I started playing at the age of 13 and okay. that's like I was late. already playing. It's right. It is considered late for golf, right? Because a lot of people in elementary school, they're playing or even younger now, um, you know, I mean, of course we saw Tiger Woods and some others play at, you know, the age of one, right. Sure. Or before that. Sure. But for me, I was playing softball and basketball and volleyball, you know, all the tr- traditional sports. Um, I was much taller, you know, than all the mm. other girls for my age. And then I kind of stopped growing in high school, but at that point I was tall. So, you know, I thought basketball and volleyball and even softball, I thought those were my loves. Those were like, that was my thing. And my mom signed me up for a golf camp one summer because I'm really grateful. I live in a community in Westlake Village where there are so many great public golf courses, so many great instructors out here. Um, You know, it's just, it's Southern California. So golf reigns supreme, right? And for me, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm 13. (laughs) Like I'm about to go into college. The summer before my mom signed me up for this golf camp. There's very few girls at the local course. And I loved it. It just like stuck. And for me, I think what it was is I was super shy. I was very independent, total introvert, but I was very patient. And Mm. I like to, you know, kind of take that time to really hone in on something. And so my mom was spot on about that. So we started playing golf and um, no one in my family played. So, you know, it was just me and I got an instructor and then I tried out for the golf team at the high school played golf and softball. And then I think, you know, it was maybe sophomore year in high school. It's like, okay, you're pretty good at this. Like you're, sure. you have some talent here. Right. And again, I, I'm so grateful that the high school was a great team, <laughs> you know, it was Southern yeah. California. Like the competition is great, but we had a great high school team and I had great instructors around me. And so I thought, okay, maybe I could kind of do this more seriously. I'd decided I was only going to play golf, stop playing softball. And then, you know, started to go through the process of like, okay, how do I actually play in college? And right. what's that looking like? And again, the competition is hard out here, AJGA, VCJGA, mm. you know, playing all of those tournaments every weekend. And I was not a great tournament player. Like I would just get so okay. nervous. It was hard. Right. Yeah. And I think for me, the biggest thing was the mental game. And so I remember I went to you know, mental coach at one point. And no Uh, one really tells you that when you start, like you need to be prepared that it is, it's 80% mental, right. And like almost 20% physical in a way, at least for me. And so then I started to go through the process of college and UC Santa Cruz. I didn't even realize, you know, that was really even a a school an option for me. Sure. And then I didn't even realize they had a golf team. It was division three, which ended up being perfect because I was able to, you know, pursue my other passions. Um, I worked at the radio station and, cool. you know, I was able to have a college experience, but Pasa Tiempo was our home course, which is an Alistair McKenzie design. And it doesn't really get any better than that. You're nope. in the redwoods, you're by the beach. 
um, division three was perfect for me. And I thought, you know, what a, what a great time to like play, but not have all of that pressure because I knew I never wanted to go pro. That was never like, never something that I thought I wanted to do. Maybe in elementary school, I wanted to go pro, you know, for the NBA, but that was not (laughs) beyond that. I had no like pro aspirations. So Santa Cruz ended up just being a great fit. And I'm, I'm super grateful of that time there. I, that's such a nice story to hear because, you know, a lot of the time I'm talking to women who played D1, you know, they went on to play, you know, professional careers and, but golf can still be an awesome experience in college as a sport, even though you have different interests, you were able to participate in those. And like, that's, I'm so glad that you had that experience. Well, and I think there's a lot of, you know, criticism towards the D3 and even D2 Mm. route. And I think a lot of people who have never even played (laughs) collegiate sports are like, oh, D3, like, sure. no, you know, and there's that shade, but for me at Santa Cruz, all of the D3 athletes I knew were like me. They had D1 offers. They had D2 offers. They had D3 offers. And for them, they didn't want the sport to be their entire life. Some yeah. of them have crazy burnout. Some of them, you know, just wanted to experience other things. Some of them just yeah. loved Santa Cruz and the opportunity presented itself and they took it. And so, you know, it was not like any of us were just kind of like "Hmm, casual golfers and maybe we'll try this out um, or casual athletes. You know, it was just an opportunity. It's like, I don't need to be traveling every weekend for, to fulfill me at this time. And so, I mean, you know, look, I work at ESPN now and I think when people are D3, oh gosh, there's still that shade, but it's like, Hey, let's go on the golf course now. I'll show Right. I'll show you. I'll show right. You're you so much better than most yeah. of the population. Yeah. I'm like, I'll show you what D3 looks like. And again, <laughs> if if Pasa Tiempo is presented to you as your home course, and that's sweet. You know, I know that's rare for, I mean, it's rare for any school, right? To have kind of that opportunity. But thankfully, my college coach, Paulette Para, she has great relations there. And I mean, Pasa Tiempo to play there multiple times a week. Like it doesn't get better than that. It just That's really so doesn't. cool. Oh, well, I saw you worked in other creative roles before you got to ESPN. So tell us the story about how you landed there. So I've always known I wanted to be a writer. I wanted okay. to be a journalist. I just wasn't sure what route, like most journalists. Um, and, you know, I thought maybe I wanted to do politics. So I spent some mm. time in DC. I interned on Capitol Hill when I was still in college and worked as a, you know, talk radio news, kind of a beat reporter there. Cool. Just didn't, it was, it was intense though, right? Like it was fun, but it was intense. Knew that wasn't really for me. And at Santa Cruz, I was actually a world literature and cultural studies major with a minor in film and digital media. They didn't even have communications. They didn't have English. (laughs) Again, very different school. And yeah, you know, I think that actually was best for me, right? Because to be a strong writer and to be a, you know, you have to have a good, strong reading background. And Mm. look, I just got to like read the best books, have the best discussions and really figure out, you know, what route I wanted to go. And so by the time I was finishing up my career at Santa Cruz, I thought, okay, I kind of want to focus a little bit more on journalism So I applied to Columbia Journalism School. The only place I applied to, I was like, if I don't get in there, like I don't want to go anywhere else and I could just go, you know, intern or have a low level position somewhere else and get that experience. And then I got into Columbia and it was a 10 month, you know, really 
intense program, but you get your master's in 10 months, you know, and it thought that's perfect for me. And while you're there, you're on a beat, you're covering different things. Um, I was in East Harlem. That was my beat. So Uh again, I, I think for me, I've always had a passion of covering voices and people and places that, you know, might not always be at the forefront. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I really learned that while at Columbia. And then again, I wasn't even sure if I wanted to do sports. I had an advisor who said, look, like you, you know, sports really well. That's a passion of yours. You're good at that reporting, like lean into that a little bit more. And I think I needed that because it was one of those things where I was getting a little competitive with my other, you know, peers, they were covering maybe these like huge uh, investigative pieces or, you know, political pieces or local, you know, I mean, they just were covering an array of things. And I thought, oh gosh, it feels like sports is so, I don't know. It just didn't feel like it had that impact. And my advisor was like, why not? It can have that impact. It does have that impact. Um, So, you know, lean into that. And I think a huge part of it too was golf allowed me to get a scholarship to Columbia Journalism School. So I was okay. able to get the Dave Marr scholarship, which, you know, covered a, a lot of my master's degree. And so golf has kind of like led me through this entire path. And then when I got to yeah. ESPN, I started as a digital video um, curator. I think that's what they called it, but I was just cutting like first take videos. And, nice. You know, just kind of like what anyone does, you get in however you can. I got my foot in the door and I knew that I wanted to kind of work my way up. Um, golf was always, you know, something on my mind. I'm like, I want to cover golf to, to some degree, cover women in sports to some degree. And within eight months, I was at ESPN, the magazine as a fact checker. And I'm so grateful for that. And I, you know, kind yeah. of finished the magazine career because that ended last fall or fall 2019, actually. And, you know, I was there and until the end, which was huge, which was major. And I was a reporter researcher. (laughs) I was fact checker, reporter researcher. And then now I'm an associate editor and I write. So, you know, it's just like, it's one of those crazy journeys, but you just have to get your foot in the door somehow. And, you know, I had that vision in mind. I knew what I wanted to do. And I made sure I was really clear in my intentions always with, I want to write, I want to edit, I want to work in women in sports and I love golf. So however I can kind of figure that out, like let's, let's make that happen. Yeah. I love that. I mean, it, it's wonderful that you, you did have a vision in mind, but you were also open-minded into how you were going to get into the door. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that's hard too, right, Abby, because yeah. you can get so stuck in like, okay, I just graduated with my master's and I, you know, I played a sport in college and I did all of these things. I did all of these internships. I feel like I did everything right. Right. And then you're offered a position that you're like, what? That's all I was offered. You know, that's what? That's reality. And it's reality. And again, you know, I saw other friends get immediate reporting jobs right out of school, Uh, you know, immediate editing jobs. And you can kind of get stuck in that place of comparing, but it's like, we're all on different paths and, you know, it, it works out the way it's supposed to work out. And for me, look, my extent of my writing, those first eight months were headlines and captions. And so I just made sure I wrote the best headlines and captions, right. right. To, to show like, I can do this, I can write too, but it's, it's just a different path for everyone. And I had to remind myself like you're at ESPN. So, you know, that's it's a pretty you cool. Got your thing, foot in the, so. You got your foot in the door. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you do search Charlotte Gibson on ESPN, you get a 
very big variety of stories, um, which I really like this morning. I read your piece. Um, it was an interview with a doctor about coronavirus and it was March 18th, 2020. So it was right at the beginning when everything started shutting down. Um, but regardless, you cover a lot of different topics. Um, and how does that work? How do you get to, do you choose those or what does that process look like? So I work for the Digital Storytelling Group, and it was kind of this group that was created post-magazine world. And okay. so, you know, we work on a lot of long-form stories, um, stories that aren't on the daily beat. And I think, which, you know, I love because then you get to explore different topics and they can be a little bit more feature storytelling. And then I work for ESPNW on the women's side. So most of my stories, the majority have a women's focus. And you know, as an associate editor of the voices column. So that's why a lot of the things I write are essay based um, or okay. columns. And, you know, I work with athletes on these essays. So it's, it's kind of nice. I get to pick and choose. I have a great team. Um, I work with three really amazing women and we just kind of brainstorm constantly, you know, we're constantly looking for the next big story. Um, you know, Tanika Mackey, the LPJ caddy that I just wrote about, she's a great example of someone who, you know, I saw her at the US Women's Open with Amy Olson, saw her on the bag, did a little Google search. I was like, there's not that much out there about Tanika, but I want to know more. And, you know, within a few minutes, I was already in contact with my editors, my team, and I'm like, let's do something on her. So, you know, for us, we're just kind of, we move at a fast pace, but we also are allowed the opportunity to explore those types of stories that maybe, again, you've never heard of this person, but you should, um, you know, the mental health specialist that I talked to last year for coronavirus that was brought to me by my deputy editor. And she said, you know, let's do a, a Q and A on this. It feels like this is important right now. So it's a little mix of getting assigned things and just, you know, pitching things myself and then also getting to edit as well. So I get to edit Sarah Spain's columns. Um, okay. you know, I just, I get to do a little bit of everything, which I think yeah. is exactly what I've always wanted to do. But my passion right now is, is, you know, these as told to essays, getting to work with athletes. Um, and some of them aren't even athletes, you know, some of them are just women in sports and mm. women who work in sports and just working on kind of amplifying their voices. And so, um, that's, you know, that's been kind of something that I've really focused on this last year. And I think, you know, there's been a great array of stories. Tanika is one of them, Molly Seidel, the marathoner, mm -hmm. you know, we've just had, we've got the opportunity to really amplify women in sports that again, maybe you didn't, you know, you didn't even know about them, but now you do. And you've heard a little chunk of their story and you want to know more. I love it. So what is your preferred style then? Cause you do the Q and A and then the as told by what, what do you prefer? So I love the essays. I have to say, I love the opportunity to kind of what you do, Abby, you know, you just get to have a conversation with someone and it feels like kind of your guards down. I try to always say that, like, just put your guard down. We'll have a conversation. And these athletes, most of the time, you know, they haven't had that opportunity. They haven't had that sure. opportunity to kind of dive deep into different layers of their story, um, especially the athletes that we're working with. You know, this is not a LeBron James. This is not a Serena Williams. These are athletes that, you know, maybe when they've been interviewed before, it's one or two questions. It's after a match, after a round, after a race. The quick um, gamer. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's so much to be explored there. And for me, I just think, 
let me have a conversation with you. And then I kind of work with the transcript and then I get to ghost write a piece. And I, I, I just absolutely love that for me. You know, it's, I love to amplify that voice of the athlete, but I also love to, it's fun to kind of get into their headspace and, you know, just trying to craft something out of a, a transcript. And I, you know, someone said to me a few months ago, they're like, wow, you're great at transcribing. And I'm like, it's not <laughs> like, it's not that, but you know, it, it's, and that was tough to hear because I'm like, I sure people don't think that's what I'm just doing. Um, you know, cause that's so not it. And although I'm not at the center of these essays, I want the athlete's name to be at the center, but it is really a collaboration and it's about trust, right? It's about allowing these athletes to trust me with their voice and with what was just said. And it's like a puzzle. You get to kind of put together this puzzle and then I get to, you know, utilize my writing chops a little right. bit. And so you know, and it's an essay. So there's, you can be a little bit freer in the prose and, um, you know, that's to me, that's the style that I, I think I just love. And, you know, we have some great pieces coming up for women's history month that are more yeah. essays, more as told to essays. And so, you know, I've just been leaning into that, but there's nothing greater than a feature story too. Don't get me wrong. And we have amazing senior writers at ESPN who are just brilliant when it comes to feature storytelling. And, I've gotten the opportunity to do great, you know, 3000 word features, but right now these essays, that's like, that's what I love and adore. Yeah. So you, I mean, you're personally, you're clearly in the business of amplifying voices across all of sport. but for those who are probably listening to this, they are golf focused. So I would love to hear from you. How does golf fit into that overall landscape, especially at ESPN where you're covering everything? Right. And, you know, look, we are not a women's golf right. focused, uh, you know, media outlet. We're just not, we're not even a golf focused media right. outlet. Um, you know, we're not golf digest. We're not golf week, but that's okay. So we get to tell, you know, different stories. And with women golf, for me, I just told everyone, like, that's what I like. I know, I know that world. I want to know more about that world. And I think from the get-go, when I was at the magazine, I was just really eager to say, you know, look, if you need someone to cover this, I can cover this. And my first opportunity was actually to write a story for ESPN China on Chen Chen Feng. And mm. that was a great opportunity. It was a great feature story on Chen Chen, her journey in the LPGA. Um, yeah. you know, and it was, it was an opportunity to show, like, I know what I'm talking about and I'm able to go to an LPGA tournament. I'm able to you know, kind of talk to these athletes, but also make these connections. And so for me, I always try to push women's golf. And I think, you know, my, some of my coworkers like know it at this point, like, okay, Charlotte's going to pitch a golf story. She's going <laughs> to pitch a women's golf story. We just know it's happening. But I think, I feel like it's part of my duty as, you know, someone who, who did play golf, but not only yeah. just played it, golf has given me so many opportunities and golf has gotten me you know, to where I am today. So without golf, I, I truly don't think I would be in this position. And so I feel like I want to give back, but I also think the women of the LPGA and just women in golf, right? Because it's not only just women in the LPGA, it's, you know, girls golf, high school instructors. Yeah, it's yeah. all of those elements to it. I think they're so deserving to have a platform like the men. And, you know, I think if I can tell stories that kind of, can be on the same level of a Bryson story 
or a Burke story or, you know, a tiger story. That's always what I'm aiming for, um, just to give a little bit more of a platform for women's golf, especially at ESPN. So, you know, it's, it's yeah. hard, but every, every major, you know, we try to do a preview piece. We try to do a Q and a or a short story. Mm. And then I've been able to write some columns on um, this year. And I think that was great as well to just have a little bit of an opinion piece, um, talk about mm. what we're seeing in golf. And, you know, I think that's just, my passion is golf. My passion is women in golf. And like I said, I just want to give that platform. So again, you know, it's, it's kind of the funny thing. Okay. Sure. Let's going to pitch a golf story, a women's golf story, but you know, I, I pitched those stories because I believe in them. And like the Tanika story, I really fully believed in that story. And I think you see the payoff and you're like, okay, that makes sense. Or the Mariah Stackhouse piece, you know, you mm -hmm. see the payoff. You're like, okay, that makes sense. Those are important stories to tell. And, um, you know, I don't know if, if I wasn't pitching those stories, I don't know if those would be told on ESPN. Right. And I don't, 100%. I know that sounds crazy, but like, I just don't, you know, you, you don't know have to be, you don't know. So yeah. And I'm grateful how, for the platform. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, how does it differ when um, when you pitch something? Are you pitching it to ESPN or ESPNW or both? So it's a little bit of both. And I'm, you know, I get to work with the, just a great team of people. And so in the digital storytelling group, um, you know, I pitch my bosses, I'll pitch my deputy editor, my editor, and it, it just varies on the story, right? So, okay. um, you know, the bigger stories, the bigger pieces, I'll do background reporting, I'll do pre-reporting, I'll see, you know, can I even get in contact with this person? With the Tanika story, like the most recent one, that was, again, just me seeing her at the US Women's Open. And mm -hmm. I wrote about Amy, I wrote about Amy's triumphant finish. And throughout that, I thought, okay, I want to know more about Tanika. So, you know, I reached out to the LPGA, is she even available? Is she someone that I could get in contact with? And then it was about like, how do we tell her story right now? I'm not traveling. Um, we're not doing, you know, in-person reporting. So that kind of takes mm. out a huge chunk of, you know, all of those like kind of nitty gritty details that you would want in a feature story. Um, it's hard to kind of get that just over the phone and zoom. And I have great colleagues who are amazing at doing that. I think I need to, you know, hone in those skills a little bit more. And so for Tanika, we just said, let's do it as an essay. That was an easy pitch. It didn't take, you know, that much, but um, sure. we, do a, we do a pitch meeting uh, every once in a while with a big, you know, a big group and you present your pitch and it's kind of scary. It's like an elevator pitch. You have to be fast and you have to have your, you know, pre-reporting, but it's a great tool to have. So it's a little mix of everything, but um, I, you know, I have to get sign off from the ESPNW side and I have to get sign off from the digital storytelling side. And right now I think we're in a great spot where these women in sports stories are, are doing great and, you know, people want more. So, you know, we just are kind of most of the time brainstorming and we're like, let's see if we can follow that thread and let's see what comes of it. You noted something interesting, and I was going to ask you it next. So the these stories about women in sports, they are doing well. And I think that a lot of the time helps the bottom line and the business of ESPN as a whole. Um, but at the same time, we are aware of the gap between men's and women's coverage in sports, like across all of the outlets. Um, how are you and ESPN, how do you guys combat that? And of course, now that these stories are doing well, how does that help the cause? I think that's a great question because that's a struggle, right? That's a struggle for ESPNW. It's a struggle for 
our women in sports stories. And, you know, I think constantly we're, we're kind of in a battle of saying the only way that you can amplify the story is if you put it on X, Y, and Z, and if you, sure. you know, bump it up the front page and, you know, my colleagues and I, we, we like fight hard. Don't, you know, we're not just like rolling over. We're constantly pushing for these women in sports stories. And I think something that, you know, is really important to remember is that, you know, women in sports stories aren't just Serena. It's not just Megan. It's not just Sue. It's, you know, there's so many other great athletes. And, you know, I think I would love to say like someone like Katie Barnes, a colleague of mine, they do an amazing job at stories that matter in women's sports and stories that really need to be amplified. And they work so hard to get those amplified. Um, and I think, you know, it's like Katie's stories deserve to be at the front as well. And my stories deserve, you know, and we, we try so hard for that. And it's hard because I don't, you know, I might not have the brand or I might not have the mm. following that some of my other colleagues have. And so you got to do a little bit bootleg PR, right? You yeah. have to do a little bit of your own PR. And, um, you know, my, my colleagues in, at ESPNW, we try really hard to make sure like ESPN knows, Hey, we have this story coming. Um, you know, Hey, it's, like the NBA women's coaches, that was an easy sell because it was NBA. It was Becky Hammond. Um, you know, it was these stories that people wanted and knew, but sometimes the Tanika story, that could be a harder sell. Uh, Molly Seidel, that could be a harder sell. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter to us. It doesn't matter if the sell's hard. We just, we know that those are stories that matter and stories that we want to amplify. So, you know, Good Morning America tweeting out the Tanika story, that's huge for us. Um, right. That's that's great because it's getting it in front of people too that maybe aren't just sports focused and maybe, mm -hmm. you know, they want to learn more about yeah. this amazing woman in sports. So it's hard. Uh, don't get me wrong. I think, you know, we're constantly fighting that battle. But like, you know, as women in sports, we're you know, we're ready for it. And I think this past year has really shown that, you know, there's been a lot of trailblazers, a lot of game changers, and we're not going away. <laughs> like, no, right. one, you know, the more right. women that are in positions of power too, I think it's, it helps, right? Sure. It helps to have more women coaches. It helps to have, um, you know, women executives. It helps to have all of those people in positions to say, yeah, these stories matter. So let's, let's push them to the front. Great. Love it. Well, back to golf. Do you still play? Yes, <laughs> I do still play. And, you know, I think it's hard because I was in Connecticut, right. And I was in Connecticut living there for so long. Yeah. Um, and they have great courses there, but it's a winter <laughs> too. And I was not used yeah. to that. I never, you know, I grew up in California. I played college golf in California. So I had to kind of adjust to that, but I have a great group of guy friends at ESPN and you know, we would play as much as we could um, during spring, during summer, after work, you know, nine holes, we do a few little tournaments here or there. And right now I'm just like, I love playing, but I also do love the driving range. So when you asked me that question earlier, that it's hard because it's like, I know I, as a type A person, I, I do love just going to the driving range, hitting a bucket of balls. If you have a bad day, um, just go hitting some balls. And it took me some time though, to learn how to love golf again and just play it for fun after playing competitively for so long. Sure. I still am learning how to just go out there and maybe have a drink, you know, maybe play some music, take a cart. Like I, 
I'm still learning how to like ease back into that. That can be hard after competitive play, but I still love it. And I think um, it's like a new chapter for me, like the fun, fun golf, like just to go out, play and realize that the scorecard doesn't matter. You know, that's kind of the thing, like whatever my score says, it does not matter. And, um, you know, I had a thought the other day, like I need to get an instructor again. I need someone to look at my swing. And then I'm like, you don't, you're fine. Just just go play. Just like go play. It's totally fine. And again, I'm back in LA. So there's so many amazing public courses out here. Yeah. That I, that I just want to play them all. I just want to get out and play them all. Yeah. There's definitely the opportunity. I am. Well, I end every interview with what advice do you have for women who want to pick up the game, who are maybe later in early in their professional careers, perhaps, but they're later to life in picking up golf. That's a great way to end, I have to say, because I've been thinking about this question a lot, even for myself. I think sometimes, you know, it can feel very male dominated and it can be intimidating. Um, You can go to a golf course and although, you know, you can see some of the guys on the course and maybe they're not great it's still intimidating and it still can feel like a boys club. Um, And so, you know, when I started out, I think the best thing that my mom did for me was she's like, I'm dropping you off at the course. You need to go play 18, go find a group. And I think my best advice is like, really be ready to step out of your comfort zone, but also realize that your scorecard does not matter no one's a pro out there. You know, I mean, some people will say they are, we know that, (laughs) but just go have fun and just enjoy it. And right now, I think the opportunity to just go play 18 holes, nine holes, you know, even if 30 minutes on the range, you're outside and, you know, just like how amazing and blessed are we that we get this opportunity to still be playing golf after this really tumultuous year. Um, The biggest thing I just think would be have fun. And that's advice for myself too. You know, it doesn't need to be so serious. It should just be a fun outlet. And um, also just, you know, be ready to network out there too. If that's what you want to do. I think I've made some great connections on the course. And like I said, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for golf. So, you know, you might, you might go thinking, okay, I'll just hit a few balls. Um, I might play around, but it could end up really changing your life in positive ways. I feel like that wasn't an answer. That was like a long roundabout way of saying, (laughs) Just like have fun and, you know, make sure do you it. step out of your comfort zone. Yeah, just go do it. And and totally like as a former shy girl, just like step out of your comfort zone and it's going to be, it's going to be okay. And I have to tell myself that too sometimes because, you know, you go to a new course, you're by yourself. If you don't show up with your own group, that can be scary. Right. And that can feel intimidating. And then after the first few holes, you realize, oh, Okay, we're all we're all just here to have fun. We're all just here to hit the ball and who cares? Like they're not going to go home tonight and remember that, you know, that shot that went into the lake. Like they're not going to remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So just go out there and have fun. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Our original music is composed and performed by my talented and wonderful friend Ryan Young. If you're looking for more from For The Ladies, visit us at fortheladies.net and on Instagram at fortheladies. That's F-O-R-E. 